Welcome to Fiduciary Fitness, the podcast that covers all aspects of running your company's retirement plan. The most significant retirement plan legislation in more than a decade, the SECURE Act, was signed into law in December 2019. It seeks to make it easier for businesses to offer retirement plans and for individuals to save for retirement. Join us for part two of a two-part discussion on the key provisions of the SECURE Act and its potential impact on retirement plan sponsors and participants. The three voices you'll hear today are WFG President Joe DeNoyer, Hub Retirement Services National President David Reich, and partner at the Wagner Law Group, Thomas Clark. In part one, you heard Tom Clark discuss the nuts and bolts of the SECURE Act. Today, part two of our show will be a discussion between Joe and Dave about the impacts of the SECURE Act. And now, on to the show. Thank you very much. I, I do want to turn, I want to ask Joe some questions. Joe, you've been an advisor for, for close to 30 years. You've lived through these past changes. You know, cut through some of this. What do employers need to know? How are you going to start the conversation? How are you going to have a conversation with them about, uh, about the changes? Yes, David. The, the, the first and foremost, we need to uh, really educate folks on what's required and what's optional. So sometimes that gets lost. Um, in the conversation, but you know, we know through Tom's presentation that the issue around part-timers is required. So, so certain employers need to deal with that. The lifetime income distri- uh, disclosures on statements required. RMD rules. So basically, we really need to just cut through some of the noise and figure out what's required first, because most employers need to deal with those. Um, with the the possible inclusion of part-time employees. Remember the rule states, as Tom mentioned, employees age 21 or over that work 500 hours or more for three consecutive years must be treated as eligible. Um, so that means they can put money in the retirement plan. But since the effective date of this is 2021, excuse me, uh, 2020, it's a good time now to ensure that you have systems in place to properly track hours. You know, effectively, as soon as a long-term part-time employee must be allowed to contribute to the plan is 2024. But we're urging people not to wait. Being prepared is key. Um, dealing with many of our clients, their systems do track hours properly, but they sometimes get lost. Tom mentioned an example of seasonal part-times who serve overtime during the summer or whatever that season may be that the business ramps up. Um, we have a manufacturing client that has some seasonal demands, and those folks may get 500 hours for one and a half months, and they're working there, and they do that every year pretty consistently. So we need to make sure that they they have something to track that now because if it starts in you know next year, really we want to track it for the next three years. So when 2024 comes around, we can comply with that. Um, and then there's something that not many people are talking about with the part-timers. Um, it is not required that employer make a contribution, but it's also not excluded. So some companies who have long-term part-time employees may want to put some employer contribution or match in there to encourage their folks to participate. So that's right now, if that's, you fall in that with your workforce, you may want to consider putting that part of the budget process now so it doesn't come for a surprise or a quick decision um, when 2024 hits. But as Tom mentioned, final regulations are still needed for clarification around some of these, um, so it's really important to stay tuned. When it comes to the required minimum distributions, there's one real important thing that Tom mentioned there that um, we need to remember that this rule does not take effect. It does not affect people that already hit 70 and a half before 1-1-2020. So if for some reason you have folks that are um, already taking required minimum distributions out of your plan, 
those folks need to continue to take those required minimum distributions. This is more of a, a question for you to ask to your record keeper TPA. Many of you may not have people taking required minimum distributions out of your plan. They may have rolled them to their IRAs, so they're off your books, if you will. But it is important just to understand the technical aspect. For this year, um, we are going to be on the fence. Some people already turned seven and a half towards the end of the year, and they are taking their distributions or should take their distributions by April 1st this year. We just want to make sure that your record-keeping system or your third-party administrator identifies those folks so we don't get them hung up because there's some se severe tax penalty for those individuals to not meet those requirements. And then finally, something that, that employers really need to know about, um, and this is more the optional side, but the flexibility around the new um, ways we communicate safe harbor and how late we can add a safe harbor provision to the plan. The, the action item here is, you know, take a look at mid-year testing. It may be appropriate if you're having issues with your discrimination testing, it may be appropriate to add a safe harbor to your plan. This, the new um, rules allow you much more flexibility on not only not having to announce it, but in the timing of when you can actually um, put the safe harbor, declare the safe harbor plan within it. So I'd say that's really, for right now, that's what you need to know. But start with what's required and then um, determine if your, your systems are set up to meet those requirements. Yeah, that's great, Joe. I, I think one of the biggest things I, I took away from what you just said is not just the, the reg change, but really how you prepare for it. Um, and that's, that's a key piece of this because, you know, different folks have different systems and that preparation is going to be critical because no one wants to be in that situation where they're trying to do something last minute. That's when mistakes are made. So I think that's really helpful. Uh, can you go into a little bit more just, just from how, you know, there's a lot of service providers that sort of hover around this area. You, you touched a little bit on the record keeper and how they planned this. Um, what other direction are you giving to, uh, to clients around how they work with other service providers, specifically the record keepers? Is there any other guidance that you're giving there or, you know, still kind of, uh, just, just on the starting point here? Yeah, I would say we're on the starting point because a key point is secure includes language. Uh, designed to ensure that amendments to plan documents are most likely not necessary until the end of 2022 plan year. So to start, um, there is going to be some time because, again, all your systems, your record keepers or third-party administrators, they're 23 days in on this thing. So um, they're figuring out how to address the plan amendments. But something really important, although we have till 2022, to the end of 2022 plan year to amend their documents, or that's what it looks like in the secure language, um, plans will need to follow the new mandatory provisions from an operational standpoint immediately. So the, although Tom said the house is not on fire because it's not, there are some things that we have to do instantly when it comes to the requirement. And again, the requirements are the, the uh, annuitized amount of an individual's account balance on a statement. Many of you probably already have that with your record keeping systems. So I'm going to talk about that in a minute when it comes to opportunities, I think, but that's, that's important. Um, but this, this part-time thing, you may be sitting here saying, well, that doesn't really impact us. I would have somebody in finance or payroll do a quick run over the past three years and see if that does impact you, because you might be surprised at that one. And, and again, if you deal with a lot of interns, remember this rule does exclude folks who are prior to age 21, so it may not hit you. Um, but now is the time, really, the, the message is now is the time to work with your advisors to coordinate with your third-party administrators and or record keepers just to make sure that you're, you're going to be ready for this. And I would discuss each optional provision to determine which ones are appropriate for your plan, your workforce, uh, just as part of your overall benefit strategy. 
For example, if you decide to include the new birth adoption option, um, work with your record keeper now to determine the timing of when their systems are actually ready to record keep this, this benefit. Because we're, we're talking to a lot of our clients right now, and most of them say, yeah, well, why wouldn't we want to add that? Well, yeah, we'd probably want to add it, but we want to make sure that the systems from a compliance standpoint are operational. So we may add it in 2020, but we're not going to be so quick to advertise it in January of 2020 until we understand that our systems can support those distributions. Got it. Um, and so you talk about opportunities. And so let's say a client comes to you and says, hey, you know, what? we really want to make our plan more competitive. We, you know, that's a focus of theirs. What are the things that they can take advantage of if, you know, as they try to retain talent or, or recruit new talent? What are the key pieces of this where you would come back and say, okay, great. Here's what you can do now that you couldn't do before. Um, what are the opportunities there for employers? I'll cover two quickly because I think one may be overlooked, but um, the, the one that, that has some um, really the ability to make the, man, the plan more competitive is by increasing the auto escalation cap from 10 to 15%. So if you have auto escalation, um, you probably just went to the default of starting somewhere, you know, auto enroll at three, four or 5%, let's say, and then you did the escalation cap to 10% because that was the prior safe harbor rule. I would definitely consider changing that to 15% although that's an optional provision. Um, what we're finding, David, is many of the plans we are working with are now hitting the 10% caps. So meaning they've had auto enroll for four or five years and they're now hitting the 10% cap. And when we look at the data, there has been very little drop off of participation from their employees. So in other words, they're getting to the 10% and they're fine, they're continuing to put money into the plan, but now the employer is stopping them at 10 because that's what their plan says. So I think it makes a lot more sense to increase to 15 because folks who don't want to go as high as 15 will stop. But this may also necessitate a discussion around offering other types of benefit plans like a non-qualified plan, for example, as many folks are proving that they want to save more, but due to IRS limits, they just won't be able to save that 15%. So I think it's a good time to have that discussion around hey, is there a next level of retirement plan like a non-qualified plan? But again, this goes back to your overall benefit strategy with your workforce. So I think that's one. And then two, there's a huge opportunity um, that is presented through the safe harbor rules around adding lifetime income options to your plan menus. Uh, Tom discussed a little bit of this, the current state and why some folks don't do it, but we view this as a way for employees to take advantage of guaranteed income in order to meet their retirement needs. Um, think of it as making the defined contribution plan like that 401k or 403b a little bit more like a pension plan of the past. As Tom mentioned, you know, most folks have a balance in their plan, but they have difficulty converting to what that really means to them. So you know, we figure if we can add lifetime income options to plan menus, it would really make a lot of sense for folks and, and will actually drive savings rates up. So at this point, what we're really doing now, the practical matter is we are in the wait and see mode for a few reasons. One, as Tom mentioned, you know, we, we, can, we, we talk about letting the marketplace catch up with the appropriate products that provide competitive pricing for your employees and figure out the portability issue. I mean, those, those are really key. And then the second is, you know, there's further guidance or regulations that will have to be drafted around this rule. So although it sounds great, a lot of employers that we're talking to are gung-ho about adding this option, the market is not caught up to the actual regulation yet. So I'd say let's, let's wait a little time. And to this point, when it comes to opportunity, um, this is something you may want to think about here and now when it comes to lifetime income. 
we are rolling out extensive education to employees around this lifetime income projections that they are seeing on their 401k balances and statements, because this does two things. One, it gets folks focused on their retirement benefits, basically what they will have or will they have enough when they retire, um, or are they saving enough? Those are really important points. But the second is it sets the table up for when income products are appropriate for your plan, that this is not a brand new conversation for your employees. So we can convert folks from thinking about looking at their balance in their 401k plan into actually considering what income they're going to have in retirement. When the income products are available and if they do make sense for your plan, folks will already be thinking along those lines. So it'll be a more natural progression to educate them on the pros and cons of doing an income product so that they can make the decision, is it appropriate for them or not? That's great. No, that's extremely helpful. And I think I just want to be sensitive to the time. We've just got a couple of minutes left here. So maybe, Joe, what I'd ask you to do is, is sort of bring this, uh, summarize this with a takeaway and some actions, and then I'll close it out when you're, when you're done with that. Certainly. So I think the, the, you know, it comes, sorry, it comes down to next actions. Um, and I would think the one thing that Tom mentioned is you got to be vigilant about your filing of, uh, vigilant about the filing of your, um, 5,500s in tax documents just to avoid these new penalties. Um, when we were on Capitol Hill talking about the SECURE Act, um, one of the themes that we heard over and over from the enforcement agencies were like, yeah, this is all great and we realize we have to get American savings, but we need data back from plan sponsors and it's too lax when the timing of these issues. So um, they are serious about the penalties. Um, I don't know if they're staffing up for them at this point. I have no insight on that, but I would say the fact that this was mentioned in SECURE Act several times I would take the, the filing requirements very seriously at this point. And most of you on the phone probably have already. Um, again, I talked about the, the part-time employees. So I'd make sure the systems are ready to start tracking them in 2021. This gives your payroll and HR and finance departments time to, to make the proper uh, projections. And then I would encourage that all savers consider the impacts of the, the changes to the stretch IRA. This is few and far between, but when you're doing employee education, for example, I think your record keepers are going to ha start having this information on there, but it might be something noteworthy in the conversations you have with folks, especially if you do s specialized education for folks preparing close to retirement. And those of you on the phone that are thinking that the MEPS or the PEPS may be a better option for you, um, I would just watch for you know, further guidance. I think we're several months away from that. So with that, I kind of say, sorry, this is a, I got a very fat finger on my, my slides here. What I would say is, you know, there are a couple actions, again, if you, if you don't have a plan, may, now may be a really good time to think about adopting this plan, even if it's after tax year. We talked about the RMDs. Um, the lifetime income options, I, I spent some time in that because I really don't want to just write that off as, hey, something that's buried in the SECURE Act. This is one of the main themes of the SECURE Act. This and getting folks into the plan, what we call coverage. So I think the lifetime income options are something that if I was in HR, finance, if I was in a fiduciary capacity retirement plan, I would really start paying attention to this. There is so much information out there through many different sources. So I would start to pay attention to this and make sure this conversation is happening now. Um, and then if, as I mentioned, I would consider taking advantage of the liberalized safe harbor rules. If your plan, you know, again, it depends on the size of the employer, but if your plan's running into some testing issues. And I don't see any reason not to implement a qualified birth or adoption distribution. So there are a lot of takeaways from today, but the, the main thing is, First and foremost, as I mentioned, realize what's required versus what's optional. The required you're going to have to do, the optional, I would start having those conversations now with you and your committee.
so that when the time comes, it makes it simple for you to make that decision if it's right for your plan and your workforce. I want to thank both you and Tom for uh, for for joining. It was great content on its own, and and how this may impact the employers. I think that's the critical piece about this. This isn't a change that you want to figure out on your own. You're going to need to get advice and work through this because every situation is going to be different. With that, I'll thank everybody for joining, uh, both presenters and the uh, and the employers and the folks on the call. So appreciate it. Thank you very much, and have a great day. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks for listening. If you have a question that you'd like us to address in a future episode, shoot us an email at info at washfinancial.com. If you enjoy our show, we'd love for you to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you access your podcasts. The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advice offered through Global Retirement Partners, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Global Retirement Partners, Washington Financial Group, a division of Hub International Mid-Atlantic, Hub International, the Wagner Law Group, and Hub Retirement Services are not affiliated with LPL Financial.